Good evening or good afternoon. Uh, depends on where you live. My name is Alex Schernitzel and um, to my right is uh, my guest, Dr. E. Michael Jones. We haven't seen us in a while. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, to, to those um, who don't know him, is a prolific American Catholic intellectual, a real erudite. And uh, it's always a big pleasure and an honor when, when he's my guest. Dr. Jones, thanks for accepting my invitation. Thanks, Alice. Good to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's good to see you too. Uh, so, Doc, I, I don't want to take uh, too much of your uh, precious time. Um, three topics I, I would like to discuss with you and um, to get mm, knowledge out of you, so, sort of speak. Is um, First topic is Tucker Carlson and his uh, firing at Fox TV, then... I would like uh, for you to comment on Ron DeSantis. Uh, and at the end, uh, I wish to discuss um, Elon Musk's Twitter because it seems at the beginning, it seemed like um, we got more of free speech because of his, um, because of Elon Musk coming to Twitter, but it seems right now that his, uh, his Twitter is not very, very nice. Um, no, no. So let's, let's, let's cut to the chase. What is the one thing that unites all three of these topics? Okay, they're all functions of the Jewish question in America, which is the fundamental basic question that Americans have to face up to, okay? Now, Elon Musk, uh, let's start at the end there. We, when, when he took over uh, Twitter, uh, there was a, a, a huge change that went uh, because there was a, a Jew who was working for Twitter by the name of Yale Roth, and he was in charge basically of content. Content meant in this regard, the two Jewish pillars of Jewish privilege, pornography, and hate speech. Yale Roth was in charge of both of these things. Twitter was notorious as a, a vehicle for a, a platform for child pornography. People would complain about it, and Roth did nothing about it. Uh, there was also the problem of hate speech, where uh, you, as soon as you said the word Jew or criticized the Jews, you were you were kicked off. That was the fundamental problem. And when he got when Musk first took over. First of all, I was reinstated. I was given amnesty because I'd been kicked off because I said something about the Jews. So that's a good sign. And then I started going back to the various feeds and suddenly pornography was gone. Uh, now, by pornography, I mean uh, situations where you're not looking for it. So if you go to a, uh, you want to see what's going on in a particular country like Slovenia or whatever it is, you look it up and there's pornography. I, I didn't sign up for this. And it had been removed. Okay. The problem now is it's all come back. It's all come back after that initial uh, moment uh, where it looked as if Musk were taking control. It looks as if it's all gone back to the way it was before. So this is a, a big disappointment. Same thing is true. The go ahead. Go ahead. 
Do you, do you think that um, something changed in Elon Musk um, himself? Um, is he a victim of some Jewish pressure or was this uh, initial um, initial perception we got from from him uh, was it only deception or, or something like what what's your opinion on it okay short answer is I'm not on close terms with Elon Musk I don't talk to Elon Musk so how am I going to answer this question I think we should go to the second topic to try and answer that question so here we're talking about another form of discourse this is Fox News which has the reputation of being conservative. Okay, Tucker Carlson is the only guy on mainstream media who is worth listening to. There's no one else who deals with the real issues in a limited form. Now, Tucker Carlson is a guy who never said the word neoconservative. Just a code word for Jew. He never even said that. He never said the word Jew. But the Jews knew that he was their enemy, and so they started to go after him and so basically what you had was um jonathan greenblatt the head of the adl issues a statement saying tucker carson must be fired uh, because he is now coming up with anti-semitic theories like replacement theory tucker carson i said never said the word jew but the jews knew he was their enemy tucker carson went on to megan kelly Megan Kelly's show. She had left Fox News at that point. She said, uh, the ADLs want you to get you fired, Tucker. Tucker Carlson said, fuck them. So Tucker Carlson knew who he knew they were, knew they were after him, and he gave you what uh, how he felt about that, that type of thing. So there's two groups that are there's uh, ADLs going after him. Senator Schumer from New York announced, he's a Jew from New York, he announced. Tucker Carlson has to be fired. Then Fox News gets involved in this lawsuit. They lose a big lawsuit with uh, Dominion voting machines. Have to pay almost $800 million for, to settle. Outrageous amount of money, okay? There's another lawsuit coming down the pipe, and this is a Jewish lady by the name of uh, Amy Grossberg. She is now claiming that there was a hostile environment. She apparently never met with Tucker Carlson, but she's on the inside with a lawsuit. It's a Jew, and she's accusing him of anti-Semitism. So at this point, Rupert Murdoch panicked and surrendered, ran up the white flag, and fired Tucker Carlson. It's a disaster for Fox News. The, the, the ratings plummeted. It's the number one story in all across the uh, media here in the United States. Tucker Carlson gets fired. They immediately lose uh, viewers. Megyn Kelly just went through this thing. Uh, just over uh, within three days, he went from something like 3 million to 400,000 as a replacement. A catastrophe similar to what happened when uh, the ADL threatened Adidas over Kanye West, Adidas caves in, they lose billions of dollars because they caved into the ADL. So what I'm saying, the reason I'm bringing this up now is I suspect that Elon Musk is subject to the same type of pressure. And, I, and so, and rather in coming with some type of big break or blow up, 
I suspect he tacitly let Jewish control back into Twitter. Jewish control is number one, uh, pornography, and number two, hate speech. Enforce hate speech codes, allow pornography, and the Jews have total control of your of your operation. I know you you wrote a lot about that, and uh, but for example, for 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 my viewers that that. Um, didn't that haven't read your your books or haven't listened to you yet why is it so important for jews to um to have control over pornography and and hate speech hate speech well you can read the jewish revolutionary spirit this is the book that i wrote uh, uh, years ago i'm ready to bring out i've already brought out a second edition of this book and uh I had to, we, I knew, this is, I'm thinking, I'm back at the time of the Iraq war. I watched these group called neoconservatives, which everyone knew were Jews, got us into a war in Iraq that did not benefit the United States. It benefited Israel, and it even, didn't even benefit Israel in the, in the end. And I'm saying, well, how did we get involved in this? And, and then you go, well, aren't these conservatives? Because they call themselves conservatives. And so, like Irving Kristol, He's a Trotskyite in the 1930s. He's a conservative in the 1980s. What's the common denominator? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the common denominator is the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And so the Jews rebel. They, they crucify Christ. They kill the Logos incarnate. And they are at war with Logos. And that's the fundamental issue here. You're at war with Logos. You're at war with the majority population uh, wherever you are. You are, your Talmudic religion is the antithesis of Christianity. So what is the essence of Christianity? It's love your neighbor and service to your neighbor. Well, the Talmudic religion is the opposite of Christianity. It was created to keep Jews from converting to Christianity. So what's the opposite? It's libido dominandi, the desire to dominate. That's what informs, that's what motivates the Jews. Uh, throughout human history. They're always going to be a minority. How can we exert control if we're always a minority? Well, you take control of discourse. That's how you do it. And the more powerful means you have for communication, the more power the Jews have if they take uh, control. So that's what this battle is about. We are going to control the narrative. The Jews are going to control the narrative And they'll, they will stop at nothing. And so if they get the sense that Tucker Carlson is not going along with the narrative, they will do everything within their power to get him fired. That's what's going on. But uh, about uh, the narrative and Tucker Carlson, isn't it so that up until you really mention the Jews, up until you really name them, Isn't it so that they are very, 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 let's say, artistic about it? They, they, they are the masters of discourses and narratives and so forth. They can, they can use whatever the narrative the mainstream media offers us for themselves or, 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 or use them for their own interest. Isn't it so that up until you really mention them, name them, that 
you are some sort of a gatekeeper and 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 you are in a sense helping them and in this uh, sense in this context it's it is a little bit weird why they had to fire him when they could could have just used him for for, for their own interests um i don't i don't think they felt that they could control him i don't think they could they they sensed that there was an independence there i think they sensed deep down that even though he wasn't saying the word he knew who they were and uh, he did not like them and he did not like what they were doing to the country even though he didn't say it uh, and once they get the sense they're not going to stop they they will they sense you're the enemy if you're important they will do everything within their power to get rid of you that's this is so Let's take it to, to the next step with the guy, you other guy you mentioned, which was Ron DeSantis. Well, that just blew up. That whole project just blew up. I don't know what you've seen lately, but the latest news out of Florida is that Ron DeSantis basically uh, just signed into law the most draconian uh, hate speech law in the United States of America. Uh, basically, if you... Uh, say something that any Jew doesn't like, they can take you to court, they can have the prosecutor throw you in jail, they can sue you. It's a complete violation of the First Amendment. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. Is this the same Ron DeSantis who took on Walt Disney? Yeah, it's the same guy. So he's against transgenderism. He's against the homosexual agenda. He tries to rein in Disney, which is a Jewish operation. And now you're, he, wait a minute, the same guy, where did he sign that bill? This is a bill that only applies to the state of Florida. Where did he sign it? Miami? Palm Beach? Mm. Pensacola? Where did he sign it? Israel. <laughs> Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem to sign a bill that uh, it only applies to Florida. Well, he just blew up his presidential campaign. I don't he he the, the picture here he's sitting next to Miriam Adelson. That's the widow of Sheldon Adelson who was the big financial backer of Donald Trump. Well, Ron, what are you thinking? Do you think we're that stupid? Do you think we don't know that the fundamental problem in American politics is Jewish control of every form of government from top to bottom? This is the same group of people Biden, the Biden administration comes in. Biden, Joe Biden's a Catholic. Oh, that's great. He's one of us, huh? No. He's got more Jews than a synagogue running his administration. He's got Anthony Blinken as the Secretary of State who can't negotiate. The reason we, we are at war in the Ukraine is because we, you put a Jew in charge of your foreign policy, you are going to have a war. You, that's a rule of life in America. You can bank on that. Take that one to the bank. Do, do you think that, okay, it seems that in the Republican you know, sphere, there are people that think Ron DeSantis would be a better president than Donald Trump in 2024 and there are people that think donald trump would be a better president or that he still 
is a better candidate than Ron DeSantis, but uh, the majority of of Republican voters and uh, and um, Republican senators and so forth do think that Ron DeSantis is a a, a positive um, force in 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 Republican uh, in Republican sphere. Do do you think that the majority of these people I I just described that are so stupid or so ignorant or so indifferent toward this uh, kind of we have to say trivial bootlicking of, of Jews isn't this really trivial from 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 Ron DeSantis to go to Jerusalem and and this this is uh, this has to be obvious to 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 the m most normy people of them all that, that this is a sh some kind of a marketing or, or something like that isn't it i think so i i think that look i was i was enthusiastic about ron DeSantis when he went after disney i thought this is real culture war this is exactly what the culture wars are about Disney was a corrupting force, but you can't talk about uh, culture wars unless you talk about actual people. And Disney had been taken over by the Jews. I recommend to all your readers, uh, Alisa Rangel, uh, our, our managing editor, wrote a brilliant article about the history of Disney and the Jews. She's from Florida. Her parents worked at Disney for a while. And now uh, this is the story's coming out. The Jews took over Disney, okay? And now Ron DeSantis is taking on Disney, so this is good. And now he blew it all up. He destroyed whatever credibility he had among the culture wars conservatives by going and groveling in Israel. How stupid can you be? How stupid can you be? Now, there is a fundamental, I've said this before, there is a fundamental reality in certain parts of America. Let's take Oklahoma, state of Oklahoma. It's the most pro-life state in the union. They're the most against abortion state. And it's the most pro-Israel state in the union. Now, wait a minute. So what changed here? A significant thing happened. After Roe versus Wade gets overturned, the Jews now announced that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. And now suddenly it's a completely different game in Oklahoma. I know I have a son who's in Oklahoma. Uh, he introduces me to his friends. Uh, they're evangelicals. They've been raised with this schizophrenia. So you say to them, abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, and they don't know what to say. And so one of these guys says to me, said, I listened to what you said, and my whole world fell apart. And you know what he did then? He became a Catholic. Because the evangelical contradiction became apparent to him. Now, this is the type of change that is taking place now in the United States of America. Nothing is stable. Nothing's staying the same. And you have more and more people waking up to the fact that this is a complete contradiction because now they can put together the fact that it's Jews who are behind abortion and Jews who are behind the wars in the Middle East. And so, therefore, we don't want them anymore. That consciousness is spreading. and 
the fact that they have to pass a law in Florida to prevent people from talking this way is proof that they're lost. They lost control of the narrative. That's what's going on. And the problem is that Ron DeSantis just took himself out of the game by that stupid move of going to Israel. He lost all of the credibility that he gained by attacking Disney uh, and the culture wars against homosexuality and transgenderism. Lost it all overnight because now people understand it's the Jews is the crucial issue. Would you say, this was my speculation. I don't know what your uh, uh, take uh, on this is, but it's, I, I've been noticing that this anti-woke, anti-wokeness uh, that's been a, a feature of, of people like DeSantis, but has also been a, a feature of people like Vladimir Putin, uh, for, for example. Um, would you say that this anti-wokeness is, is some, sort of a, some sort of a mask that uh, tries to persuade conservative thinking people that this, these leaders are, are theirs, not, not Jewish. Also, although they, 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 in the reality, they, they are some sort of Jewish, Jewish puppets. Now, it's pretty obvious that, for example, Zelensky is, is a Jewish puppet and that Ukraine is some sort of a puppet country. But would you also say, because we can notice similar features than we can, no, uh, we can notice in, uh, in DeSantis, uh, that, that Putin could be, uh, could be a, a, a similar fraud on, on, a global, uh, on a global scale? A fraud, you say? Yeah, I, I mean a fraud uh, in the sense that um, we think that he's a a um, a better agent than than Atlanticism, NATO, um, this uh, Jewish Americanism, uh, conservatism, and so forth. Yet all he shows to us. Is him being um, anti-woke? He's been uh, traditionally, consistently against uh, LGBT agenda, anti-woke agenda, and also, similarly as as Ron DeSantis and in the past uh, Donald Trump, he's been, as we say it in in Slovenia, he's been Auschwitzing a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you if you understand what what I'm saying, he's been yeah. accusing Ukrainians of being Nazis and and fascists, and and he's been um, he's been speaking the Jew the Jewish uh, language a lot, wouldn't you you're, say? You're, you're sounding like a Russian nationalist now, Alish. This is yeah. I, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I don't. I don't accept it. I mean, I have people. I I have Jews who are friends friends of mine who uh, are saying that uh, Putin is a puppet of the Rothschilds. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think that he is a a a, a man. He's a Russian patriot. 
He's a, a man who saved Russia. I think he understands. Uh, he thinks the way a politician does. I think the way a philosopher does. I'm a philosopher. I'm not a politician. And for me, I need clear-cut uh, understanding of one side and the other, clear-cut categories. But that's not the way politicians work. And I think po what Putin did when he realized that the United States was out to destroy Russia, uh, the, the looting of Russia that Jeffrey Sachs engaged in, even though it seems that Jeffrey Sachs is going through some type of conversion at this point, uh, Putin simply said, went to the oligarchs and said, basically, it's my way or the highway. You know, so I'll tolerate these rich Jewish Russian oligarchs if they support me. If you don't support me, you've got to leave. And a lot of those, some of them did, some of them stayed. And he's going to work with the ones that stayed. He's going to work with the uh, with the Jews. He's going to he's a uh, talks the Holocaust line as well. Uh, he's a politician. I, that's that's the conclusion I have to come to. And they don't make clear cut distinctions. They want to bring coalitions together to support them. That's the way I see it. Okay, but but you, you would agree with me that, that then it, it's a fair question to ask uh, why wouldn't we treat the Santis the same when he goes to Jerusalem as a, as a politician? Basically, he he. He realizes that Jews are powerful, that they are a reality you have to uh, make some compromises with. And so he, he does it. And he does it uh, in the manner that he goes, he makes this PR stunt. He goes to Jerusalem and um, panders to, to Jews in... in Uh, would you say that this is a fair question? Yeah, it's a fair question, but it's the differences between night and day. The differences between uh, the Jews controlling the politician and the politician controlling the Jews. I'm saying that what Putin said is it's my way or the highway. I'm in charge of the country. If you want to go along, I will work with you. If you don't, there are plenty of other countries and just get out of here. You know, and DeSantis is not doing that. He's doing the exact opposite. It's basically, I'll lick your boots. I'll do whatever you want. Trump did the same thing. Trump spent his entire four years in office licking Jewish boots. Whatever the Jews wanted, he did. And then they kicked him in the teeth. The problem is when you get down there on the ground and you're licking the boot, they can kick you in the teeth. And that's exactly what they did to Trump. They kicked him in the teeth. Sheldon Adelson is his biggest supporter, okay? They pressure Trump into releasing the biggest traitor in American history, Jonathan Pollard. American agents died because Jonathan Pollard released those secrets. And what does Donald Trump do? He alienates the entire military establishment by releasing Jonathan Pollard. Sheldon Adelson's jet shows up and picks up Jonathan Pollard flies him to Israel, and who's there to meet him when he walks down the stairs to the tarmac? It's Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> This is a, a, an incredible insult to Donald Trump. And then one week later, Jonathan Pollard gives a speech in which he says, if you're a good Jew, you will betray the country you live in, because that's what Jews do. I mean, talk about anti-Semitic stereotypes. That's exactly what he's saying. So I'm saying the fundamental difference is 
does the politician control the Jew or does the Jew control the politician? I'm saying Putin is one and Ron DeSantis is the other. You can't do this type of stuff and give me some, you can't expect me to believe that you're in charge of these Jews. No, they're running your show and I'm not going to vote for you. You lost my vote. What what would be your 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 choice or your alternative in the next election? The only, the only interesting alternative now is Robert Kennedy, who just declared his candidacy. That's the only uh, the only candidate now who is taking a counter oligarchic position, and is based largely on his dealing with the COVID and the vaccines and all that all that type of experience he had. But that's that's only a part of what Robert Kennedy's doing. Robert Kennedy has a, a mandate uh, simply because of his name. He's the only man. He's there, there's one thing he can say, and no one else can say it, and it's that. Someone murdered my father and someone murdered my uncle. And it wasn't a lone deranged gunman. And if I'm elected, uh, what I'm going to say is that was a coup d'etat. And if you elect me, I will reverse that coup d'etat, the effect of that coup d'etat. Now, no one else can say that. No one else has that type of stake in the game. This is almost, uh, what should I say, like a Greek tragedy. Like, I'm going to avenge my father and my uncle. It has that type of depth and that type of resonance. Nobody else has that. And that's a, that's a serious challenge to a man who is the weakest and worst president in American history, namely uh, Joe Biden. Um, now, when, when you mentioned some shootings, uh, This is uh, uh, something I just remembered. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this mass shooting that was done by a um, trans transgender right, right. guy. Uh, 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 this is what I wanted to ask you. It seemed to me, I mean, this it it seems to me pretty obvious that this has to be scripted in some sort. Wouldn't you say? No, no, I, I don't see. I, I, I think it's all internal. It's internal to what happens to the soul of someone who decides that he's going to play God and change his gender. I mean, we talk about homosexuals as acting in violation of nature. Okay. What they do is contra natura is what they do. It's against nature. And as a result, there's a violence to that that is unprecedented in any other type in normal sexual activity. Okay, the amount of uh, murder that goes on in the homosexual community, uh, the, the biggest threat to homosexuals is other homosexuals because of the violence that is involved in their sexual act. It is by definition a violent sexual act and it leads to physical violence and abuse and murder. What we're starting to see now is that transgenderism is even worse than homosexuality in terms of the violence it does to the soul of the person who undergoes this type of thing. No one knew that before this, this shooting. 
they've suppressed the manifesto. I'm sure there's evidence of that in the manifesto. Because what you're doing here, you're intervening into the body. First of all, you have to intervene with large uh, amounts of hormones. Okay, you have to, this is a girl. You have to give her large amounts of testosterone in order to do that. This is a, obviously, these are troubled people. And so they're probably taking SSRIs like uh, Prozac and Zoloft, which all by themselves will lead to either suicide or murder. There's a huge connection between mass shootings and Prozac and Zoloft. And it's all suppressed by Big Pharma because they don't want you to talk about that. They even did a movie. There's even a movie about this. It's called Side Effects. And it was the last guy that, last movie that that guy did for Hollywood. He was the guy with sex tapes, sex, what was it called? Sex tapes. I, I don't know. I forget the guy's name. Anyway, he quit Hollywood because it was just an infomercial for Big Pharma. That's all it was. Okay. So there is this tremendous potential for violence in the very act of transitioning. And that's what came out at this time. Because now, not only that, they're saying to these, there are all these transgender people saying, transgender people need to buy weapons. Well, they never said that with homosexuals, but transgender, they have to have weapons because, well, they're violent people. They're doing violence against nature. That's the problem here. Um, uh, do, you, do you have a stance um, on, on, on this topic about transgenderism and gender dysphoria? Would you say that these people that are being semi-forced nowadays to, to change their their uh, their sexual features, bodily features, if I may say so, would you say that these people in the past would be just normal? feminized homosexuals and yeah, nowadays look you're, you're talking about they want to deal with children transgenderism is the mute genital mutilation of children children by definition if you're talking about before puberty do not have a firm sexual identity and you can look at uh, if you look at nine-year-olds a nine-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl kind of look the same until the the sex characteristics start to develop at puberty, there's a similarity there that is uh, obvious. These people have to be pushed in this direction. So if, if, if there were girls, we call them tomboys, you know, the girl who played sports and liked doing masculine things, it was a tomboy and she grew out of it. She got to the point where uh, she puberty sits in. She suddenly has this whole new relationship with her body. She starts to understand what the message of the, of the body is about fertility and having children because she's having her period now and that type of thing. Her mother explains this to her. And you gradually transition away from that androgynous state. That's all being thwarted now by this social engineering. You actually brainwash parents into thinking that they shouldn't uh, act like normal parents and say, you know, honey, uh, yeah, I know you like to play cowboy and Indians with the boys, but now it's different. Now you're uh, maturing into a woman and you're going to be different. 
would you please take this question, Dr. E. Michael Jones? Did you read the book of John Coleman, The Committee of 300? If yes, what is your opinion about it? I, I'm sorry, but I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Okay. Next question. Why Roman Catholic Church, if this is true, I, I'm not sure, do not have any stand towards biogenetic studies and artificial intelligence, transhumanism? The Catholic Church in the United States, to its credit, just came out and issued a statement against transgenderism and condemned it and condemned any type of uh, interference in the biological development of boys or girls. So they did come out uh, as... Uh, in favor of that, to their credit. They came out against transgenderism. At the same time they did that, Notre Dame University, a Catholic, what calls itself a Catholic university, came out and said, in order to be a good Catholic, you have to support transgenderism. So there's this conflict uh, between the university and, and the bishops on this issue. But but in which sense do they mean, if, if you know uh, what they mean by it, uh, when they say support it? How how to support it? What do they mean by support it? Supported uh, what? Uh, the, to support the transgenderism as a good Catholic. What I mean, does no, it mean? No, Notre Dame. No, yeah. You mean what did Notre Dame do? Good question. Yeah, what do, what do they mean what, by it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the question that needs to be asked. What do you mean by that? So it was a Holy Cross priest by the name of Olinger, standing there with his Roman collar, talking about how Notre Dame supports the transgendered agenda. Okay, I have a question, Father. <laughs> Suppose this Notre Dame student, 18-year-old, confused young man, Notre Dame student, goes to Father Olinger in the confessional and says to him, I look like a boy, but I think I'm a girl. I think I'm going to transition into being a girl. What do you say, Father? What is Father Olinger going to say? Go for it? <laughs> yeah, mutilate your body, shoot yourself up with hormones that will destroy your life permanently? Or is he going to, in which case, he's, a, he's involved in serious sinful activity, according to the American bishops? Or is he going to revert to his Catholic for a, a re, uh, identity as a priest and say, look, what I said in public, it's all a pile of shit. I don't believe it. Don't do it. Don't do this stuff. Either way, he's in a bad situation. That's so it gets exactly to your question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? They, they probably want some government money. No, I, that's what runs. Notre Dame is run by government money. So they do whatever the government says. They want the money. And so they will do whatever the government tells them to do. Complete abandonment of any Catholic principle at Notre Dame University. Yeah, the, the, this is why church shouldn't be, uh, should be independent from, from the government. Because the, the reason Europe is, was the great civilization that it was is because you had this constant tension between the Pope and the Emperor. The Pope was always there one way or the other to uh, articulate some type of Catholic principle. Uh, and the Emperor, if he was a good Catholic, would be like, uh, who went to Canossa? The, the, uh, who was the, the, the Emperor 
the mm. emperor who stood barefoot in the snow at Canossa. I forget the emperor's name. But that's an example of this successful relationship that you have, the tension you had between the ruler and the church in the West that you did not have in Orthodox countries, still don't have it. You don't have that in Russia. Basically, the Orthodox Church is an adjunct of the state. Um, this is an important question about if we return a little bit um, to, to Tucker Carlson. You mentioned him being um, disillusioned by Episcopalianism, um, his um, religion, uh, the religion he was brought brought up in, um, or something like that. Would would you tell us what exactly is this? Uh, um, this religion like and why is Tucker Carlson disillusioned by it and how how is it connect it's connected to to um, to the Jewish question for 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 okay. example so there are three ethnic groups in America just like Yugoslavia it's Protestant Catholic Jew okay of the Protestant denominations the most elite you would say the one that had the most prestige was the Episcopalian uh, religion. That's Anglicanism in England. Uh, it was the, after the Civil War, it became the national Protestant denomination of local elites. They were all Episcopalian, okay? Problem is, Episcopalianism is has exactly the same problem that the Orthodox have. It's a state church. All Protestant denominations are state churches. And so, in England, the Anglican Church, the head of the Anglican Church was the Queen of England. She did nothing, nothing to stop the moral decline of the English people that was approved by the Anglican Church. So you have a, a, a period of sexual deviance that began in England with the Episcopalian Church in 1929 when the Lambeth Conference approved contraception. That pulled the rug out from under sexual morality among the elites, and the Episcopalian Church followed it in lockstep the whole sexual revolution with no interference from the queen uh, who was the head of the church. That's what Tucker Carlson's talking about. My wife was an Episcopalian. We grew up in Philadelphia together. That was the, that was the church of the ruling class in Philadelphia. And what happened over that period of time is it was taken over by sexual revolutionaries and turned into basically what it is today, which is a, a gay dating service. Uh, in in uh, South Bend, Indiana, when our uh, illustrious homosexual mayor got married to another man, married, it happened at an Episcopal church. That's what Tucker Carlson's talking about. So these conservative Americans, Protestant Americans who were the backbone of the country have been betrayed by their own church, and now they don't know where to go. So Tucker Carlson is now uh, faced with the prospect of becoming a Catholic. He said that in that speech he gave, he mentioned Father Scalia, Catholic priest, who said we should pray for the country, and he was obviously taking his lead from Father Scalia. So this is going to precipitate a crisis in the life of Tucker Carlson, uh, because now he's faced with 
uh, the fact that his religion that he was raised in, raised in, has abandoned him, as all the Protestant sects have done. They've all they're evaporating as we speak. And what you have as a result is the, the reason I was supposed to go to Zagreb was to debate Jared Taylor because all of these Protestants, once they stop going to church, they become white guys. And apparently it works for uh, Croatia as well. So I, I guess Tom Sunich went to stop going to church because he was certainly baptized as a Catholic and now he considers himself white. This is the type of decay that is going on, spiritual decay that is going on in Europe. And Tucker Carlson is a manifestation of that uh, in, in America because his religion left him high and dry. But isn't it fair to say that with with the exception of, of yourself, there are not plenty of Catholic intellectuals or, or, or public personas that that could be considered as better than Episcopalianism. Oh, give me credit. At least there's one guy. Um, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a question of me. It's a question of the actual Catholic Church and the actual Episcopalian Church. The Episcopalian Church was created by looters. It was theft of church property. That poisoned it from the beginning. That's not what the Catholic Church is. I'm flattered. I'm honored to hear you say this about me. I mean, I'll give you an example. Andrew Anglin, probably the biggest Nazi in America, has said if E. Michael Jones were Pope, I'd become a Catholic. This is a serious problem. You're right. It's a serious problem that the church has been uh, crippled ever since Vatican II. I'm not blaming Vatican II, but ever since Vatican II, it's been crippled. And the main thing that cripples it is Catholic-Jewish dialogue. That is the main thing. So now this, this year in America, the bishops of the United States of America in the Missalette, when we go to Mass for Easter, Holy Week, there's a warning. Don't read the Gospel of St. John because you might become an anti-Semite if you read the Gospel. And I didn't say don't read it. But be careful when you read the Gospel of St. John because you might become an anti-Semite. This is outrageous. This shows you the total collapse of Catholic consciousness because of Catholic-Jewish dialogue. Yeah. For example, in Slovenia, Catholic-Jewish dialogue doesn't even exist. I don't know any public Catholic intellectual or, or, or any member of the clergy that would say anything about Jews um, that wouldn't be um, Auschwitzing and Holocausting. Or, or, or. You, you have the benefit of a rooted culture that has much deeper roots than Americans have. And it's easy to disrupt American culture because the roots don't go that deep. And we are an a, a nation of immigrants and we, when we, when my grandfather came over, when my great aunts came over here, they became servants in the houses of rich Episcopalians in Philadelphia. And we thought we want to get ahead. The Irish were more affected by this than the Germans. I'm half Irish and half German. The Irish wanted to succeed in that country. And so they went along with the internalized the commands of their 
Protestant oppressors to a large extent. That's part of the problem. You did not deal with that problem. You're a Slovenian. You're in Slovenia. That's all it is. You're not going someplace else. Well, you actually are going someplace else. You're going to Austria, but you're taking all these Slovenians with you, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we're taking over Austria uh, and the Albanians and Bosniaks are taking over Slovenia, for for example. It's everything's no, going this, to, this, to the you, north. No, you're hitting on a real serious issue because the, the Jews who are running this war in the Ukraine are engaging in the ethnic cleansing of the U Ukrainian people so that they can take it over and sell it off to pennies in the dollar to people like the Jews at BlackRock on Wall Street. Where are those Ukrainians going? Well, they're going to Poland and then they're going to Germany and then they're ending up in Ireland. What are they doing in Ireland? They are engaging in the ethnic cleansing of the Irish people. This is the turmoil that uh, Europe is being subjected to now. Yeah, what, what some people in Slovenia, for example, and Croatia have been noticing that um, those people that are coming from Ukraine that are running from the war seem to be quite rich. It seems that the elites are, are, are coming from Ukraine to, to our countries running from the war and the elites seem, the Ukrainian elites seem to be the majority Jewish. Yeah, I, has Zelensky bought a castle in Slovenia yet? I, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, that, of course, when they got all that money, they, uh, Seymour Hersh said they've stolen $400 million dollars of U.S. aid. I think that's a, a conservative estimate. Uh, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And you're going to suffer because they're going, they're going to have the money to buy you out. They're going to buy up the property in Slovenia. And you'll become, you'll become like the Irish. The Irish are aliens in their own country. I just, yeah, answered, that, I just answered that question. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago that libertarians and and conservatives uh, would say that uh, look look at the uh, look at the Ireland they are they are the symbol of of this uh, libertarianism pro capitalism uh, they they are uh, letting all the the multinationals corporations uh, to to come to work in their country because they have such low taxes and so if only Slovenia had um, such low taxes then uh, maybe these multinational corporations would come to to our country and uh, our people would get to work for this uh, yeah. corporation. great idea it's called the, it's the Trojan horse <laughs> I I fear I fear libertarians even when they're bearing gifts, Timeo Donaos et Dona Ferentes, Timeo Libertarianarius uh, et Dona Ferentes. This is always the 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 uh, message of the Trojan horse. Uh, what would you say about libertarians? I mean, I know that Austrian School of Economics and Chicago School of Economics was full of Jews. It, it's That's what it is. It's Jewish. It's the, the Jewish economics. It's Shylockian economics. Murray Rothbart wrote the book, 
He said, my ducats swell when there's deflation. This is the Jewish takeover, and, and it's uh, presented in uh, uh, pro- proposed at a time when socialism was regnant all over Europe. I'm talking about but like 47. I think the servile state came out in 42. This is the time of big socialism in England, places like that. And it, got, it had gotten too big. And so all we have to do is dismantle socialism and everything will be the same. Now, what you're saying is if you dismantle the laws, poor people are going to have no defense against the rich. That's the message of libertarianism. Would you say that Catholic Church with Pope John Paul II fell for this? No, no. That's You're talking about Michael Novak's propaganda. Michael Novak uh, claimed that when Pope John Paul II wrote in Centesimus Annus those phrases, like, if by capitalism you mean, okay, like uh, free market or market economy, something like that, then it's compatible with the Catholic Church. If by capitalism you mean the total abrogation of all laws that protect, no, we don't accept it. Well, that was completely conditional, and that's as far as the church ever went. If you go to uh, the first encyclical, Laborum Exercens, he says in there, labor is the source of all value. That's not that's not libertarianism. I guarantee you that. Yeah, libertarians say that it's ingenuity of of entrepreneurs that it's the source of all all value. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Although there there are no in, in uh, genius entrepreneurs in in multinational corporations. There are only Jews with political connections running. Look, this this is what they did in Berlin. They turned Berlin into the startup capital of the world. It was all narcissism. And so they said every every 20-year-old who showed up in Berlin was given the illusion that he was going to be the next Steve Jobs. And you know why they did that? Because they don't have to pay a decent wage anymore. Because you're a genius, you're going to make all your money with your startup anyway. It was the the way that libertarians got into, Jews got into Germany to basically erode the country that had the most commitment to labor as the source of all value. One one last question. I don't I don't know if you followed this social phenomena of of Andrew Tate. Do you know? Now, I really I don't know anything about Andrew Tate. I have no idea what's going on there. Tell me what's going on there. I mean, he in the beginning he used to present himself as a libertarian thinking gigolo or something like that. Mm. Uh, he promoted being rich, being being being. Um, in shape, uh, having a lot of women, um, and so forth. But later on, at least in the in the last um, couple of months, he seems to have converted to to Islam. And and I I, I speculated a lot about this because uh, a lot of um, young men. That don't have any any real 
manly idols or or, 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 or how should I how should I put it? Um, they don't have a lot of men they can look up to. They uh, they fell for 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 Andrew for for example, and I I speculated if if Andrew because his father was CIA could be a, a part of a CIA psyop to Islamicize European well, I, guys. I, look, I think the first part is more plausible than the second part. Uh, Andrew Tate is the promoter of sexual libertarianism. Sounds a lot more uh, uh, like a CIA op than Islam. Islam is is Islam is the Paicha Gottes. That's what Luther said. It's the scourge of God. Islam is punishment. Whenever Europe falls away from the faith, Islam is the punishment. The Turks start marching up the Danube. When, this is the first, one of the early responses to the Reformation, which was complete disunity in Central Europe now. Islam rises up. You have the Battle of Mohach. 1525. The Hungarians are obliterated, not obliterated, but they lost that battle. That was a threat for centuries, centuries, because of the disunity in Europe. That's what Islam is. Now, from a personal level, Islam is also the tyrant that restores order to your life after your life gets out of control. And so what you see in England is basically people, I've told you about the uh, Anglican church. It doesn't provide any guide whatsoever. You wake up, you've, uh, your life is a mess, and you convert to Islam because it will put order in your life. It's a draconian order. It's, an, I think, a tyrannical order in many ways, but it's order. And so I was in, when I was in Iran, I'm sitting next to Yvonne Ridley, the English journalist. She got captured by the Taliban. When she was in Afghanistan, she converted to Islam because it was better than the, uh, I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but better than the dissolute lifestyle that most Englishmen were living at that point. A lot of Englishmen have gone over to that simply because uh, Angl Protestantism has evaporated. So it's a response. It's what I said before. Some people become white guys like uh, Brody Mityord. You know, the Norwegian. Yeah, I know Frodia. Yeah, okay. So he woke up one day and there's, suddenly there's no more Lutheran church in Norway. So he loses his identity. So he thinks he's going to be, become a Viking. So he becomes a white guy to fill that vacuum. Many people faced with the same thing will turn to Islam as a way. And, you know, and in a sense, I think they should turn to Catholicism because that was the basis of it. That's not alien to Europe. That is the soul of Europe that was. Uh, basically disrupted by the Protestant Reformation, and people need to come back to Catholicism because that is the true European, the source of European unity. Yeah, although I, I, I do think that that this white identity thing is more connected to um, to the to the Jewish agendas like Black Lives Matter and anti-white. Uh, Mm. It 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 seems more like a ressentiment 
than 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 a a positive identity thing. Um, it, it it's coming as a as a as a rea- reaction to Hollywood, to pop culture, where to to sports where black people. Uh, Oh, you're right. You're right. It's a it's a response to the civil rights movement, which was basically the Jews using blacks as proxy warriors and revolutionaries. Uh, but they, it's it's a reaction created by people who don't understand that the Jews are behind it. They focus on the the immediate uh, image in front of them, which is the black proxy warrior, rather than the Jew who's pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Yes. How how would you comment on on the words of Muhammad Muhammad Ali, who said that he wanted his his um, his children his, and his children's children to look like him? Would you say that this is a a misguided? Mm, identity think or or would you say that this could be a a positive thing even tolerated uh in 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 catholicism for example oh, well, that you... there's nothing wrong with saying that first of all uh, muhammad ali was a very handsome guy he was a very good looking guy so i can understand why he wanted his children to be handsome too <laughs> okay i i understand that there's nothing wrong with that who who said there's something wrong with that Does that mean you're endorsing the whole racial narrative? I don't think so. I mean, maybe he felt that it was, but uh, I, I, I look. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't think. Was there anything wrong with Slovenians wanting to be Slovenians and preserve their culture, or the Irish wanting to be Irish and preserving their culture? No, I don't see anything wrong with that. But but it has a racial component. If I if I if I say my uh, my children, I want my children and children's children and children's children to look like me. It means that I don't want my uh, the next generations of Slovenes to to be black. For for example, well, okay. Then are you going to marry a black woman? Okay. First of, of all, first of all. Uh, Uh, it takes two here, so you got a half of the contribution to what your children are going to look like, and the other half comes from your from your uh, wife. So you don't have control over this anyway. I have I have children that that, uh, that look uh, uh, one looks more like his cousins than he looks like his brother, and the bro- the one who is his brother looks more more like my father. Then my father looked like me. I have no control over this. This is this is God's plan, okay? To create some type of racial narrative out of this type of thing. I think it's it's a stretch. So people would get to me, you know, they say to me, Well, can a can a an African become a pole? So what do you think? I said, Well, uh, can a Jew become a Chinaman? And I said, Well, look up Sidney Rittenberg. And then before, I, uh, so I finished that, and then I get a, a, an email from a guy in Poland that says, yeah, actually, there was a girl in my class who was an African. She learned Polish, and she was completely accepted. Now, that's true, and I was in a situation like that when I was in Germany, because the principal, I'm an American, the principal asked me, would you like to become a German? I think you should become a German. I think you should move in with us and live with us. 
the only uh, there are very obviously there were lots of similarities my mother was german uh it was a catholic region i'm catholic but the main thing that allowed him to say that was the fact that i learned german i learned how to speak german because that is the essence of ethnic identity and i'm not ruling out other aspects but that is the essence of ethnic identity and i'm trying to say that that is the essence that there, where uh, I'm losing myself here. I'm getting. I'm. I'm talking too much. <laughs> Tell me what I need to say here. What? What am I? Bring me back no, to reality here. I, I think from the point of view of Slovenian, I, I consider Slovenes. Of course, Slovene language is is essence of, of Slovene um, culture tradition and a a main feature. Of of our our nation of our people, but I also think that it's it's impossible to say that if two million Namibia uh, okay. Namibians right. learned that's, learned Slovene. No, that's the distinction we have to make. Yeah. So I talked about one girl showing up in a school in Poland. I was one guy who showed up in a village in Germany. If you have Mass migration, that's a completely different story. And that is a weaponized attempt to destroy, a weaponization of migration that is the, the purpose of which is to destroy your culture. I completely agree to that. That's exactly what's happening to Ireland right now. That's what's happening to all of Europe right now. It's mass migration. It happened to, look, it happened to my family, except that it was internal migration in America. They got all these blacks to move up from North and South Carolina into the Irish neighborhoods of Philadelphia, and we were ethnically cleansed. Of course that's different. Yeah, but what if it, if it wasn't a, an obvious um, uh, plan to, to ethnically cleanse European people from from the Jews and it happens spontaneously, for example, then it becomes an ontological question, a philosophical, a metaphysical question. Uh, are, are, for example, are two, uh, Slovenes are supposedly two million, in our country, there are supposedly two million Slovenes and we're not, we're probably a million and a half perhaps even only a million, for example. But let's say that we're two million Slovenes with with all our features and all our ancestors and so forth and so forth. And the, the, the ontological or philosophically interesting question is, what if we spontaneously interchanged with two million uh, African people of some African nation, for example, and African people would learn Slovene language. Um, now, you're, you're straining here. You're straining with uh, to come up with an example. Let's deal with something closer to reality. What about the folk of Andalum at the end of the Roman Empire? That was an example. That was no No Jew was orchestrating the folk of Andalum. When my uh, barbarian ancestors crossed either the Rhine or the Danube and started pouring into what was left of the Roman Empire, that was a uh, that was a spontaneous operation. 
and it changed it changed Rome. Rome, in a sense, uh, uh, Rome collapsed. Uh, the the people that took it over weren't as skilled as the people before. Before that, let's take let's take the example before that. If you were a Goth living on the border of the Roman Empire and you wanted to become a Roman, they would allow that. Do you, they would allow that form of sim- assimilation. You would cross the border, you would learn the Latin language, and they'd send you to Syria or they'd send you to Gaul but they won't let you settle right on the southern bank of the Danube. Uh, That's the difference. And when the Goths simply crossed over en masse to the southern uh, bank of the Danube, uh, whoever it was declared that he was king of the Goths, and that was treason, and that was the end of the Roman Empire. So that was a replacement that took place right in your neck of the woods, not far from where you are right now. I think it's Serbia now, but or is it Serbia? It would be Serbia now. Right. You're a little bit north of that. But anyway, that did happen. It's inevitable. What are you going to do to stop something like that? What are you going to do? They could not preserve the form of the Roman Empire. It had expired. All empires have a shelf life. And the Roman Empire expired. Augustine has nothing good to say about the Roman Empire. He's a, a loyal Roman. He's one of the great masters of latin prose but he has nothing good to say about the roman empire something good to say about the roman republic we're talking about because it died it gave birth to something better which was the holy roman empire which was a so so you know keep that keep that in mind yeah i I agree when there are forces of nature in charge and we're we're not powerful enough to to go against them then it's as it is, but when we talk about this, these things in 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 principle, uh, I I do think that an ontology, uh, uh, al- although these are impossible scenarios, for example, the scenario I mentioned before, that you take uh, an African tribe of two million people and interchange them with uh, two million Slovene people and teach them Slo- Slovene language. This is of course this is only. A, a, a mental model that would probably never happen in, in okay let's in, let's take another closer to reality what about Turks in Germany yeah did the Turks become Germans I think they uh, did I think they did after three generations they became Germans I would I would say that they they are of course you have to have an assimilation model so if you do agree that that you will take a certain percent of immigrants into your country. You have to have an assimilation model. So you have to have some sort of definition of how to become a part of your tribe if you come from another tribe. What is the bottom line? What is the absolute essential requirement without which you cannot do this? What is it? For assimilation. What is the absolute requirement for assimilation? What is it? I would say that uh, you you have to have a couple of generations of your people buried on the, the on the um, the soil of 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 a country, and you have to to have some sort of. It, it's a really it's a really hard. 
hard question. Of course, the simulation is, let is me, never... Let me, let me give you the easy answer then. Yeah. It's language. You have to learn the language. You cannot yeah. allow these people in unless they are willing to learn the language. If they don't learn the language, they should not be allowed to become citizens, period. Citizens, yes, but uh, I agree. But th this, is, uh, this is how I differentiate between integration and assimilation. You can integrate if you learn the language, you find a job, and you, you, you find a way how to integrate in, in, into, the new, uh, into the new culture or nation or whatever. But the assimilation is, is, is another thing. Uh, okay. Okay. If you, we have to restore the notion of citizenship. Then that's your. That's part of the problem here. If you're not a citizen, you're an alien. If you're an alien, you have no right to stay here. You can be expelled at will. We have to restore these distinctions. We do not have these distinctions anymore. We have basically the United States of America, where the Jew, uh, Mayorkas, has completely capitulated and allowed uh, uh, an invasion to cross the border from Mexico. He's completely given up because he's a Jew, because the Jews want to inundate this country because it weakens the majority, and the more the majority gets weakened, the more power they have. It's that simple. You can't allow that. If your country does not have borders, it's not a country. You have to maintain the borders of the country, and we are but not doing it here. But, but okay, modern modern America or modern United States obviously operate uh, uh, in the sense of civic nationalism. But Europe, for example, were or we were not that mixed up till. No, I'm saying. Up till, I'm saying. Up till I agree now. with you. I agree yeah. with you, but I'm saying even the United States, with its policy of welcoming immigrants, cannot tolerate a, a non-existent border with Mexico. We cannot tolerate this. Yeah, even of the, course. Even the United States. So, so if the United States can't tolerate it, then obviously a small country like Slovenia can absolutely not tolerate this. And I think where you're seeing this now is Hungary. Where, it's, it, where basically uh, Orban is asserting the rights of the Hungarians, saying Hungarians have priority. They have rights over here. And we're not going to take this uh, European Union type of uh, assimilation policy. We're not going to adopt it. We're not going to do it. I think every country has a right to do that. You have a right to borders. You have a right to your own culture. And I'm saying the basis of your culture is the Slovenian language. And anyone who comes in there will have to learn the Slovenian language if they want to stay any longer than a tourist. If you want to become part of this country, you have to learn the language. That's true. But for, for example, there's difference between America and between uh, and the Russian Empire and monolithic or, or uh, mononational uh, countries. For example, Hungary is a mononational country. Slovenia is mononational country. Right. Uh, Russian Empire is not a mononational right. country. It right. consists Russians and many other nations and religions. And uh, but I, I do think that if it's a Russian Empire, Putin should be able to say at least, okay, we're multinational, but the. the constitutional nation 
have to be Russians. Well, they did do that. My daughter-in-law's uh, was born in Russia, raised in Russia. She moved to Detroit, and she had these friends uh, who were in Detroit who were Russians. You look at them, they all look different ethnically. Some of them look Chinese. Some of them have blonde hair and blue eyes. The only thing that united them was the Russian language and Russian culture, period. That's what united them. There was no uh, biological unity to that country. Yeah, but, but there is a reality. There is a reality called ethnic Russians that are white, that are Slavic, that are of specific racial features the the mongolian people the the uh, asian looking people that call themselves russian call themselves russian in the sense that they are they are coming from the russian multinational empire but they don't really consider themselves russian Wait, in the sense of know, ethnic do you know who, uh, do you know who the, Shoi, do you know who shoigu is who's shoigu shoigu not sure not sure. He's the Russian defense minister. Do you know anything okay. about him? Do you know anything about him? Uh, no, no. He's a Buddhist. He's, he's got Asiatic features. So there's a military parade. I think it was Moscow. Okay. He's standing there with a tank. And when he comes before the tribunal, guess what he does? He makes the sign, the, the orthodox sign of the cross, which I can't do. Okay. It's the orthodox sign of the cross. Is anybody questioning his identity as a Russian? I, I, don't, do think, I don't see it. I don't see it. I do think, uh, I mean, I'm not even talking about mm, uh, feelings, now emotions, now uh, the, the, the sense of belonging, the sense of identity. I'm, I'm only talking about ontology here, about philosophy. There is a difference between an ethnic Russian and a Russian citizen, uh, the, the, of course, a, a people with Asi Asiatic features, with even black people live in in, in Russian Empire, and they are, they are all called Russian citizens, and they they are called Russians. If they were competing for Russian Empire in some sports, they would be called Russian sports sportsmen or something like that. But there is an ontological difference between an ethnic Russian and a Russian citizen. Russian citizens can be Asian-looking, uh, can be black, can be white, can be Slavic, can be... But ethnic Russian means you're Slavic, you're white and Slavic. Uh, this is not something even... even um, most woke Jews w w would deny, uh, and in, in a similar sense, for example, Hungarians are mostly uh, white Slavic Catholics, and Slovenes are mostly white Slavic, or, or, although some would say that we're not Slavic, that we're indigenous people that we're living here, that we've been living here for many thousands of years maybe i don't know um and there is a big genetic difference for example between some serbian people and some slovene people although uh, we uh, now wait now wait now wait wait what is the dividing line in yugoslavia 
What was the dividing line? Not only religion. Was it, was it DNA or was it religion? We, we've always known that it's not only religion. It's, for example, Slovenes and Croats are more... Uh, are more similar in in genetic, cultural, religious, and in 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 the sense of, of language than the other parts of uh, of of U Yugoslavia, for for example, they've been uh, many Turkish influences in in Bosnia, Macedonia, Serbia, and not only Turkish influences, and. Uh, well, yeah, if you go to Bosnia, there are Muslims there. I'm saying Yugoslavia is like America. Protestant, Catholic, Jew, Serb, Croat, Muslim. Though the defining barriers, fault lines, were religious. Look, what is a Turk? What is a Bosniak? It's a Catholic who gave up the faith. So it's the same DNA as the Catholic, except that he converted for opportunistic reasons uh, to get along with the Turkish Empire. Am I right or wrong? There, 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 there is. There is yeah, no, I say right no, or no, wrong. There, there, there's a phenomena. There's a phenomena. The majority of Bosnians are really physically very different from the majority of Slovenians. But I'm there's not, I'm not talking about Slovenians yeah. now. I'm but, talking about Croats and Turks, uh, Croats if, and Bosniaks. If the, you take the northern, Bosnia, the Bosniaks if you take northern, if you take northern Croats, northern Croats are are very physically different from from southern Croats. For example, it's it's pretty obvious Croatia has been put artificially together also. Uh, in the course of, of history, for example, and it shows in culture, it shows in, 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 in language, it shows in, in many, many, many things, even in, inside Croatia, for example. But what, what I wanted to say is that there are, it's really interesting that many many bosniaks bosnian muslims are are looking aryan so they're blonde although the, the majority of bosnians the majority of bosnians are are dark-haired um, uh, semitic looking uh, and so forth but the bosniaks the bosniaks are croats who converted to a new religion yeah it it probably is so. It probably is so. Yeah. So I the, agree. The fundamental issue is religion. I keep coming back to that. It's not DNA. It's religion. The fundamental divide in Yugoslavia was religion. That look, the Nazis came in under the Ustasha, and they had these a racial motivated, racially motivated ideology. We're going to come up with a description of the difference between a Croat and a Serb based on DNA. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think this is, this is true. And it, it's even a, uh, it's a too complex of a question because you have to take in consideration that Croat 
is not a monolithic uh, uh, thing. There are northern Croats that that are live have lived near the border of Slovenia, for example, and that have been in Austro-Hungary for for many hundred years. That are for Dalmatian. Dalmatians look more like Serbs, for example, Dalmatians. The Dalmatians are, look, the Croats told me that. The people on the coast are completely different than the people up on the plateau. They're two different groups of people. Uh, And the people on the coast consider the people up on the plateau uh, barbarians. That's what they told me. Okay? Look, I'm I'm, I'm going to concede everything you say about uh, biological difference. And I'm going to say, ultimately, it didn't matter because what you, what the Catholic Church provided for all of these disparate ethnic groups in Europe was a common lingua franca, uh, a common religion, a common worldview that allowed them all to live more or less peacefully together. That's the point I'm trying to make. I, what I have to tell, I, I had a, I had a many years ago, I had a girlfriend. That that came from Bosnia, and she was from a, a town inhabited mostly by uh, Bosniaks, but by Muslim Bosnians, and she was uh, partly uh, her mother was Serbian Orthodox, and her father was Slovene, but he was an atheist or something like that. Um, and what she told me when she grew up in, 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 in this mostly Muslim town is that the only thing that functioned in their town was a high sc- was a Catholic high school uh, sh- she went to. And every every single child that, that that wanted I mean every parent that wanted for his child to have a good education and to have an orderly upbringing and so forth, uh, they enrolled their their children into into Catholic schools. Yeah. And the the only things that that function in in Bosnia are basically Catholic uh, schools right. and Catholic institutions. Right. This is... I re- I rest my case, okay. But I'm going to I'm going to give you one more example. When I was in India, I saw exactly the same thing with the Catholic schools, huge Catholic schools. Most of the people in those Catholic schools were Hindus and they got along. Now, now Hindus are, are not a particularly peaceful people. Okay. There is lots of violence, Hindus against Muslims and also Hindus against Christians. Unfortunately, uh, Modi and his BJP are promoting this violence as a way of uh, creating some type of unity. But in those Catholic schools, there was a peaceful coming together of Hindus, Muslims, and Christians because of the overarching principle of Catholicism led to that collaboration. It fostered that collaboration because it was Logos-friendly. Yeah, I agree with this beautiful thought Dr. Jones, I I thank you once again for accepting my invitation. Thank you for your time. Um, I wish uh, that you that your books come to as many people as possible, and I hope we can meet once again, not 
in a couple of months, but a, a lot sooner. Yeah. Because there were there will always be topics that um, right. uh, you can educate us about uh, when we talk about America and the world. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Any final uh, final thank, thoughts? Th thank you for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to have these deep discussions. And my hope is that someday I'll get back in person to what used to be Yugoslavia. That was my great hope for this uh, discussion with uh, uh, Jared Taylor. It didn't happen. I, it's, I really would like to get back there. I, people, I know people over, in various places. I'd really like to come back someday. I hope to be there in person. M maybe I can organize something like that, but it will be... Uh, I, ho I hope so. Dr. Jones, uh, have a pleasant day. I... Uh, I'm going to sleep now. It's evening. It's probably night. Yeah, it's almost night in Slovenia. Uh, take care. Um, Gute Nacht. Gute. Schlaf, schlaf gut. <laughs> Sie auch. Sie auch. Peace. Gute, peace.